I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley. And we are Murd Nerds. Hello, hello, hello. Nice to see that you've joined us today here at Murd Nerds. If you're new here, Murd Nerds is a true crime podcast covering the missing, unsolved, and weird that we felt we needed to share with you all. And to my left, my beautiful heterosexual life partner, Ashley. (laughs) Ashley, how you doing? I'm kind of mad at you, but how you doing? Heterosexual? Do you mean like like platonic? No, heterosexual life mate. (laughs) Have you ever watched... uh, 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 Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah. This yes. is my heterosexual life, mate. Oh, I didn't get the reference. My brain's <laughs> wow, <lacking. laughs> loser. <laughs> <clears throat> They're making a Clerks three. They are. I saw that. I'm pretty excited. I mean, we're we just gonna not talk about the elephant in the room. That was uh, episode thirty six. I don't know we were just going to say, glad you could actually come back to the studio. <laughs> we miss you so much. <laughs> it was crazy. It was a sad elephant in the room. I don't. I have no idea what you're talking about. This big elephant that's in the room. <laughs> are you chewing gum? No. Your I'm... mouth noises are so intense right now. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I was so sick. And you were so mean to me. I know. I was sick for so long. After I listened to it all the way through, I definitely had to text her and I apologized. (laughs) I was like, I just realized how hard I was dogging on you for not being there, like acting excited about it. And both times that she had COVID and she had to miss recording, I was like, I hope she gets better. (laughs) Love you. And I'm knocking fucking on death's door riding the wings of pestilence and you're like this fucking bitch let's kick her out of murder riding the wings of pestilence oh my god from first to last reference anyway jeremy how are you today i'm dying of me. i'm dying I, i'm doing great i'm happy good to, i'm happy you're back to feeling better and thanks. uh yeah thanks we, jeremy we did dog i'm on glad you. you feel better <laughs> We did dog on you a little bit, but it, right. it was all fun I and love. It. So, um, I went to the Care Michigan Cup over the weekend and got to meet my high school heartthrob in love with uh, D Loke, and got a picture with him and bought a hat. He signed it for me. Nice, pretty fucking. Sick. That was awesome. High school Ashley could die happy right now. Good, I'm glad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was nice. I don't know who that is. From Cottonmouth Kings. Okay. I I'm gonna have to check I'm gonna have to check them out. I know I've heard yeah, of them. Yeah, they're but like underground. They've always been really popular underground, but they never get on the radio because their music's super inappropriate. Right on. <laughs> and it's all about like legalizing weed and like organic gardening and shit like that. Okay. And uh, other random shit. It's like a trash band. They're fucking awesome, though. I love them. <laughs> I've always band. loved them. Well, shout out to Cotton Monkey. <laughs> trash band. That was a compliment of the highest order coming from trash myself. <laughs> Trashly, yes. So. Yes. All right. So during my last episode, I asked you all a question, and I decided to do this every episode. <laughs> so today's question for the both of you is. How many pennies do you think you could fit in your mouth? 
Like how how much money worth of pennies do you think you could pin your mouth? I really would like to see a stack of ten pennies and then make my calculation. He's ten dollars and sixty four cents. Ten dollars, a lot of a money, thousand pennies. What? Yeah, <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. And he accidentally Don't swallowed me. 23 cents. <laughs> More than that. It still counts. It still counts no matter how many I swallow. As long as I push them in there, that's all. I oh, my God. I would say 57 cents. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to wash some pennies. We're going to test this theory. We can do it on video. We're gonna oh, my God. We should do it on Facebook Live. Let's do it on Facebook Live. Wait, how many? Tell or. Um, no, seriously, I would choke on the penny. I would die. <laughs> <laughs> Write us in and give us your guess. Share. No, better yet. After you listen to this episode, get on Facebook, share the show notes, the posts that we make on Facebook. And if we get 10 shares, we'll do a Facebook Live. And see how many pennies that we can fit in our mouths. Yes. You'll definitely be able to fit more. You got a big ass mouth, bro. (laughs) I do. And again, a compliment of the highest order. (laughs) Thank you. No complaints so far. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Also, next weekend, we're going to see Everclear and Stone Temple Pilots at Four Winds Field. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love Everclear. That's going to be awesome. I do too. I mentioned it in the Call Guys episode. I hope they play the three songs that I know by them. I know every song they sing. Every song? <laughs> Your fucking mouth. <laughs> yeah, you might have to spit the gum out. Yeah, I think you... Oh. Oh, Wait, yeah, I saw it the first time she ever week. said that. Oh! Hey, yo. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so that's going to be exciting for Alicia because Everclear is like her favorite band. So. Yeah, I saw them five I don't years really... ago at... Um, Blue wind, blue not blue winds. Blue chip. Four winds. Studio. <laughs> um, I like both bands, but like I would never really go see either of them. But as soon as I heard Everclear was going to be there, I was like, oh, Yeah, they like Alicia halfway have through decided they were going to go. Yeah, because at I first like, I just yes. heard Stone Temple Pilots. Well, that freaked my fucking shit out. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Cinderella. Okay, yeah, so share the post. Let's get 10 shares and see if I can fit 57 pennies in my mouth. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do it regardless either way, but if you want to see it, we got to get 10 shares. <laughs> She's going home tonight. We'll wash them. It'll be very sanitary. And like vinegar? Sure. We can do Vin- a vinegar wash. Mm-hmm. We can do Dawn and dish soap and then let them dry and then do vinegar. That way they're doubly clean. Okay. And we'll and clean. We'll, be we'll clean. We'll resell them. <laughs> Sell them? No, like, did you know that if you're a coin collector, you're not supposed to clean the coins? Well, you can take them and get them, like, restored, quote unquote. I'm pretty sure they they leave all the ick on it. I miss my gum. <laughs> yeah, but to identify the coin, I just process it. To identify the coin, they'd have to restore it to see, like, the dates and everything on it, you know? A little bit, at least. I think you're wrong. I like how... (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) I like how you're using two coasters for your thing that... For one, the water's not even cold in there. Two, you have that big... cold. Ridiculous case on it. It's condensated right there. Oh, is it? Mm Mm-hmm. Can I have a drink? Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks. This is who we are, people. You should be fucking used to it by now. You know that... 
You guys had a it's very... It's not that cold. It is. It's condensated <laughs> right here. You guys had a nice, smooth episode. And then I'm back. And now it's just... We're right back to the shit show. <laughs> so, this episode... We're going back to our roots. Partially. Indiana? Nope. Oh. Uh, covering an unsolved case. Ah, okay. And these cases are what intrigued me with true crime to begin with. And although we like talking about solved cases, it was just time to go back. Back to the beginning. Let's go back. Back to the beginning. I hear it in my head, but I have no idea what the reference is. I can hear it, though. (laughs) I'll leave that simmer. Um, So this is what we came here to do. No, you're going to have to tell. I'm not going to be able to focus. What is it? Hillary Duff. Oh my gosh. That explains why I didn't get it. Well, that joke is so yesterday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so today's case is the story of Sharon Lee Gallegos, and she is also known as Little Miss Nobody. And my sources are Wikipedia, obviously, the YouTube channel, Mystery Archive section, Mysteriously Missing, NBC News, Valley of the Lost podcast, and Stephanie Harlow's episode, Jane Doe, Little Miss Nobody. That's a really sad name. I know. It's awful. Why would they call her that? I originally found this case while looking for other true crime podcasts to listen to because I burn out my true crime podcasts. Right. You got to wait a whole week. Yeah. Yeah, so I came across one that was only for the state of Arizona called Valley of the Lost. If you know me, you know Arizona is like one of my mm-hmm. most favorite places ever. So, of course, I was going to listen to this podcast that was only about Arizona cases. This story started out as two separate cold cases that eventually combine into one cold case that's still very much open. Disclaimer, this does involve a young child, so if you need to skip this week... We totally get it and understand. Also, I can't speak anything but English and dumbass. So this case has some Spanish words. And if I mispronounce them, my bad. That's not my intent. I am trying. Jeremy, all right? I think I speak a little asshole, too. But <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about I don't that. have anything to say to either of <laughs> you. <laughs> So, Sharon Lee Gallegos was born on September 6th, 1955 in Alamogordo, New Mexico. She lived there in Alamogordo with her mother, Guadalupe Gallegos, and her two other siblings. Not much is known about Sharon's father other than he was a soldier, and shortly after Sharon was born, he took off and was never seen again. Considering her mother was left to take care of three kids alone, she struggled financially. Living with her was her mother and six other relatives. Four of those relatives were children between the ages of four and 15, which this scenario is pretty common in Hispanic households. They usually share their home with extended family. It's just kind of the traditional thing to do. Um, So this was helpful for Guadalupe because she was only working as a maid for a local hotel in the area. The family wasn't wealthy by any means, but they were happy and they were extremely close with one another. Sharon was known as being feisty, carefree, and happy-go-lucky. Um, her family adored her and often called her Guera, which means blonde or fair-skinned, because she was so fair-complected compared to her siblings. She was almost five, but acted older than, than she was when it came to being like helpful and caring and vivacious. 
Sharon loved helping her mother with anything that she could, like doing small errands or simple chores. Her favorite thing to do was be outside playing with her family members and the other kids who lived in the neighborhood. But sadly, this is exactly what led to her demise. Several weeks before Sharon went missing, her mother recalled lots of weird occurrences that had gone on and that Sharon started acting just completely abnormal. It's believed that the family was being stalked by a male and a female couple, and this couple was seen in a dark green sedan, maybe a 1951 or 1952 Dodge or Plymouth, and also had two children with them that were also male and female. Um, So on July 17th, it was a Sunday, which Guadalupe and Sharon always attended church on Sundays. After the church service, the female that was in the car... um, started asking people who attended the church and were leaving questions or was asking questions about Sharon and Guadalupe. They never talked directly to Sharon and Guadalupe, only to people that they went to church with. The kid? The the female that was in the car started asking questions okay. to other church I was thinking it was a female child. I was like, oh, that's weird. No, sorry. I kind of wrote that funny. That's okay. Um, Over the weeks when she started noticing this car and the couple, Guadalupe also noticed a weird change in Sharon. She stopped going outside as much. She stopped asking if she could go to the grocery store for her grandmother or her mother. And she became extremely nervous. Whenever they would see a green vehicle, Sharon would start to panic and ask whomever was with her to pick her up and carry her quickly away from the car. Yeah, it was pretty... Pretty traumatizing for her. On July 19th, the female from the green vehicle knocked on a neighbor's door. When the neighbor answered, she immediately started asking um, the neighbor questions about Guadalupe. Who is she? What's her address? Asked her about her children, if she had a young daughter. Then she asked her about her financial situation. Um, Did she have a job? The woman asked all of these questions as she told the neighbor because she wanted to offer Guadalupe a job working for her. Pretty weird. Yeah, this is super weird. On Thursday, July 21st, 1960, Sharon was playing in an alley behind her home with two of the cousins who she lived with. And they were five years old and 11 years old. And both of them, the two younger ones, including uh, Sharon, um, It was around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, so midday, and while they were busy playing, the green card pulled into the alley. It was the couple who had been stalking her, and they only spoke to Sharon, asking her if she would like new clothes or maybe some candy. All she had to do was get into their vehicle to get those things. Um, Of course, Sharon refused and told them no, so the woman got out of the vehicle and dragged her by her arm into the back of the car. The woman, as described by the cousins, was short, had glasses, and was heavyset. She was about in her mid-30s with dirty blonde hair, and the male was in the driver's seat while the woman pulled Sharon into the vehicle. So he was described as pale, very thin, with a long nose, and straight, sandy-colored hair. As soon as the woman yanked Sharon into the car, the man sped away quickly, turning west out of the alley onto 5th Street and Alamogordo. Woof. Can I ask what year was this again? 1960. Okay. Okay. As soon as they pulled out, the cousins ran off to tell Sharon's mother. She reported it to authorities, and within an hour, police had set up roadblocks at the Texas-New Mexico state border. They searched a dozen different cars that met the description, but came out empty-handed. 
Detectives started working on a possible motive for the abduction of Sharon. Although they wanted to keep their minds open to any and all possibilities, they believed that ransom was probably not on the list of possibilities here, considering the family wasn't financially well off and there were no demands for money. Kidnapping for ransom cash was pretty much thrown out entirely from the start. One that was pretty certain was that Sharon was targeted. The couple had been stalking her, her behavior when seeing the green car, and the couple taking talking to people that were surrounding the Gallegos family Sharon was sought after for a reason. To further push the narrative that she was targeted, when the 11-year-old cousin was questioned further about what she had witnessed, she was certain that she had seen the same green, green vehicle parked outside of their home shortly before Sharon was taken. Right before the abduction, the cousin and Sharon had decided to take a walk to the local grocery store together. When doing so, they walked right past the vehicle and inside was the woman who grabbed Sharon. When Sharon had seen the green car, she started panicking and begged her cousin to pick her up and carry her as they walked past. So this was a common thing. Like, she wanted to be carried away. She so was so scared. Were When she was abducted, did they say anything about the two kids being with them, too, or no? Mm-mm. Okay. No. Nope. Helen Gonzalez, who was a friend and neighbor of the Gallegos family, witnessed that same green vehicle parked outside of their home the previous Sunday, the same day that they had been seen asking fellow churchgoers about Guadalupe and Sharon. This couple was very clearly stalking the Gallegos family. By July 28th, just one week after Sharon was abducted from her home, investigators announced that this was all possibly a relative or possible acquaintance, even though there was nothing that led them to the assessment. This is frustrating that they made an announcement like this because it could have been anyone if we're basing it off of nothing. You know, Um, it could have been someone down the street. It could have been a police officer. It could have been the Pope saying it could have been creates the thought in people's head that, oh, it's this or this that they have evidence when they were basing it off nothing. Right, right. Because we always think they have evidence that they're not telling us. So exactly. why would they come out and announce something like that if something didn't point them in that direction? Exactly. Um, when it, it could not be the relatives because they don't have evidence for it um, to make sure it is this person. So, yeah, it's negligent almost. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 yeah, it's careless. Yes. Because then people stop looking. Right. It puts a circle around a situation in someone's head. So anything outside of that circle is doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, absolutely. At the time of her disappearance, uh, Gallegos was just two months away from her fifth birthday, September 6th. She was roughly three feet, six inches tall, and she had light brown hair and fair skin. She was last seen wearing peak shorts and white shoes. The beginning of the second case involved in this story starts on July 31st, 1960. School teacher Russell Allen was out wandering around the Sandwash Creek bed in Congress, Arizona, looking for interesting rocks and stones to put in his garden. Now, Russell is from Las Vegas, Nevada, and I was kind of like, why is he driving three hours away to go look for rocks that's to such, put in his garden? That's such a pure thing to do. I know, but like, <sighs> apparently Congress is one of the best places to look for rocks and minerals in Arizona. Hmm. But I thought that was kind of odd. But anyway, while Russell was searching, he came across the partially buried decomposing remains of a young girl. Investigators immediately came out and assessed the scene. The girl was wearing red shorts, a button-down blue shirt with a very recognizable lined pattern on it, and rubber flip-flops that were adult-sized but had been cut down to fit the child's feet. 
The sand oh. isn't that bizarre? It's weird, yeah. The sandals were also fitted better with leather straps around the back, so that they put like making sandals out of other sandals. Yes, it's fucking weird. Yes. Um, her fingers and toes were painted bright red, and parts of the child's clothing, clothing were located around the shallow grave, which this grave didn't seem to be the only place the individuals responsible for her death wanted her to be. They found evidence of two other possible graves near where she was found. And in addition to these other two graves, they found tire impressions in the dirt and sand indicating that the perpetrator had driven off Highway 93 to the location where they buried the girl. They then turned the vehicle all the way around and headed back where they had came from after finishing what they had done. From the tire tracks were two sets of footprints leading to the burial site. One set was larger and clearly made by an adult, and the other set was smaller and believed to possibly be that of the child who was found murdered. This indicated that if those footprints were hers, she was alive and walked to the site of her murder and left there. Investigators also found at the scene a rusty, quote unquote, apparently is the word they used, blood covered pocket knife that was found near her body. But they weren't able to completely identify if this was the murder weapon in relation to the girl. They took impressions of the footprints, collected the clothing and clothing that was found around the burial site and the knife and then sent it to an FBI lab for further investigation. The girl's body was also sent in for an autopsy at Widmer Funeral Home in a nearby city in Arizona. The autopsy was performed by a forensic pathologist who determined that the girl had been killed one to two weeks prior to her body being discovered. They also said that she was white between the ages of five and seven, three feet, six inches to four feet, five inches in height and weighed around 50 to 60 pounds. They said she had light brown or blondish hair, but it looked like it was tinted or dyed auburn, and she had a full set of intact baby teeth. The medical examiners couldn't exactly determine the cause of death, but it was officially declared to be a homicide. They couldn't find puncture wounds on her body or her clothes, nor any broken bones, not from at the time of her death or during her lifetime at all, but they did find that her body had been burned, most likely post-mortem, in an attempt to get rid of the body. Jesus. The police wanted to release a composite drawing of the girl, but considering decomposition was so advanced by the time her body was found, they couldn't draw her face. Um, so they chose to draw the clothing that she was wearing at the time with estimates of her age, height, and weight to give some kind of descriptors. The local media, private citizens, the FBI, and the Yavapai County Sheriff's Department or Sheriff's Office, um, everyone started working together to try to get some kind of IDing on this young girl. Um, an APB was broadcast to all sheriff radio and teletype networks to try to gain some kind of information of who this girl was and who was behind this murder. Officers started originally looking into people who had previous convictions of any kind involving children. That's obviously one of the mm-hmm. first things that they do. They brought the individuals in for long interrogations with sheriffs, but nothing panned out. They also started receiving dozens and dozens of tips through letters, phone calls, and telegrams in response to the nationwide appeal for information. Any lead that they found about a missing girl, they investigated. But once again, nothing panned out. I think I see where this is going. One of the first leads that they had was an eyewitness account of a family with two young girls that was seen walking around the same area where the girl's body was found. 
This family, the Davidsons, were a traveling family who were seen hitchhiking in the area of Prescott, Arizona in late July. The officers brought them in and questioned them for over an hour in early August. They also were in the area of Alamogordo, where around the time that Sharon was abducted. So police were obviously like super suspicious, but the questioning concluded that they had nothing to do with either Sharon nor the child that was found. And the family was released on verification of their alibis. So they, the, the whole family. So the cops saw the two girls Mm -hmm. that, okay. I was going to say, show me those girls, you know? Well, I, when I was reading, it was only from one source, but they said that they saw, um, three girls but there was no third girl it was kind of just like miss yeah remembering things on August 10th 1960 the child found in the desert who was nicknamed by the public as little miss nobody was laid to rest in Mountain View Cemetery I hate that name it's It's, awful it's so awful I mean even like little miss unknown or yeah little miss mystery or yeah nobody yeah ugh The funeral was paid for by public donations headed by a local radio host, Dave Paladin. He didn't want this little girl getting a pauper's grave, saying it was insufferable to him. And that's really sweet. That is sweet. Her funeral was held at Congregational Church in Prescott, Arizona, and officiated by Dr. Charles Franklin Parker. There were 70 mourners there to pay their respects to the unknown girl who was laid in a pale blue casket adorned with pink carnations. During the eulogy, Dr. Parker recited a poem entitled For a Little Unknown Girl, and her gravestone was inscribed with Little Miss Nobody and the biblical phrase, Blessed are the pure of heart. Shockingly enough, one of the first investigators continuously kept saying that there was a chance that this child was Sharon Gallegos. The ages were similar, um, and although Alma got... All Magordo was over eight hours away. It was just the neighboring state. The only issue here is that um, what Sharon was wearing when she went missing did not match what the girl was wearing. But this couldn't completely eliminate her from being a possibility, as the police announced considering her clothing could easily have been changed right, in the 10 right. days between when she was kidnapped and when this body was found. Shortly after making the statement that it could be Sharon, they backpedaled and said, no, it couldn't be. Um, They determined that the official age of the girl found was seven years old, several years older than Sharon, who wasn't even five yet. I mean, she was going to be five in like a month. You said that they thought that the little girl had been there, what, two weeks? Two weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's like nitpicky, but you said 10 days is how long she'd been missing when they found that little girl. So. Oh, whoops. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that's that helps. It, yeah. it lines up that maybe it's not her. Yeah. Do you did you read anything about them when they're making a public statement about her, like calling on people to look for like, remember if they saw anybody in those flip flops? Because that would be like someone would remember seeing see anything. That. Right. But yeah, that, Cause that was like a really specific and odd. And I think that if I saw that, it would stick in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It was a very weird characteristic. Yeah. So, although it wasn't quite said, they believe Sharon being Hispanic made her darker complected than what the murdered girl's body was, considering they labeled her as white. And I'll get to why I think that. Mm-hmm. So, months followed and investigators expanded the search radius and traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles around the country, hoping that they could find out what, who this girl was. By March of 1961, a possible lead arose. Deborah Jane Dudley was a four-year-old girl who was missing from Virginia. 
When the body of Deborah's seven-year-old sister, Carol Ann, was found wrapped in a blanket on February 9th, 1961, police went to her home and couldn't find her other sibling, Deborah. Police began to think that maybe the body found in Congress was that of Deborah, who had possibly died prior to Carol Ann, but Deborah's body was later found in Southern Virginia. It was determined that both siblings had died from negligence, malnutrition, and exposure by the hands of their own parents. Both parents were charged with the murders of Carol Ann and Deborah. Investigators on the unnamed murdered girl were back to square one. Sheriff Kramer led a party of investigators and a film crew on August 8, 1961, to the spot where the unnamed girl had been found. Later that afternoon, he presented evidence to the media, including the sandals that were cut to fit her feet. And he stated, somewhere there is someone who has the answer that we have been looking for. Maybe this will be the thing that will bring that person forward. The footage was broadcast on television in hopes that it could conjure up fresh leads to establish the identity but once again, nothing was brought forward and there was no new information. For 57 years, there was no new evidence or information about the girl coined Little Miss Nobody and Sharon Lee Gallegos. But. That's what? <laughs> in nine, or not 19, in 2018, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children offered to pay for the exhumation and testing on the body of the unnamed girl that was found in the Arizona desert. Their hope was that the stark advances in technology and forensics would allow some kind of breakthrough in the case. They were able to extract DNA samples from the girl, which were then uploaded into the databases to compare to nationwide missing and unsold murder cases. The DNA, dental, and skeletal examinations also changed the missing child's age frame to between 3 and 6 years old, with her height being 3 foot 6 inches instead of the wide range that they were before. Using what they learned from the exhumation, the University of North Texas Center for Human Identification was able to create a digital reconstruction of what the found girl's face may have looked like when she was still alive. She was then buried again at Mountain View Cemetery. January of 2022, so this year, samples of the girl's DNA were sent off to Othram Inc. And Othram Inc. is a company that specializes in forensic genealogy. Um, they work on John and Jane Doe cases, murders, disappearances, etc., and help law enforcement find connections in DNA to family members to solve these unsolved cases. So on March 15th, 2022, the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office made an announcement that the DNA from the girl found in the desert in 1960 was in fact a match to the missing Sharon Lee Gallegos. In February, they had made the breakthrough but wanted to contact remaining family members to notify them before they came forward to the public. And Ray Chavez, the nephew of Sharon, attended the press release. He was born five years after Sharon was abducted, but he thanked Yavapai for never forgetting about his aunt and loving her the way that they did. What about her siblings? Um, I don't think there wasn't really anything about like what happened to her mom. I mean, 57 years is a long time. Her mom's maybe was passed but mm -hmm. she had what an 11 year old and a an eight year old or something sibling? yeah there no there was um yeah I mean, there was, was two only... siblings and then there was six cousins i believe hmm. uh, um the investigation into sharon's murder are still ongoing and the focus now is who were the abductors and what happened during those 10 days between when she was taken and when her body was found 
So if you have any information that could lead to the identification of who took Sharon, who those people were that were stalking her, or any information regarding the events that went on during the 10-day time frame, please contact the National Center for Missing and missing and exploited children at 1-800-THE-LOST. That's 1-800-843-5678. Any information could be helpful in this case. And I know it sounds hopeless because it's been so long ago, but I can't help but think about the stories you hear from like nurses and in nursing homes um, about how older people confess the worst things that they have done throughout mm-hmm. their lives. So maybe an elderly woman or man confessed to this crime and no one has came forward because they thought they were just losing their minds or something. Maybe a daughter or son was told by their parents that they did this. Who knows? But this information has to be out there and Sharon deserves some closure. That's such an odd... It's an odd scenario because generally speaking... When it's couples kidnapping a child, they're kidnapping, you know, to they have a child. Yes. But for a couple to kidnap a child and then for the child to be murdered almost immediately. Well, and it like, makes you wonder what happened to those two other kids that were with them. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that they were probably serial killers. Mm-hmm. Wow. Got anything to say, Jay? Kind of a bummer case. Sorry. Yeah. I don't like kid cases. Um, okay, a couple things. Red flag when somebody pulls in and starts asking about your neighbor. Yeah. Wouldn't you like, hey, you know, uh, you know, oh, yeah, uh, well, you know, I don't really know that much about them, blah, blah, blah. And then call the cops and say, this people stop by and start asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, second thought is if that person stopped by and asked questions, you would think that somebody would get a license plate or something like that. You know, I just don't see how that couldn't just really flare up a lot of red flags. Yeah, especially since that car popped up multiple on multiple occasions. Yeah, yeah all I mean, all you got is a green sedan. Nobody knows the make, yeah. the model, the license plate. I mean, there's so many more fingers to point to people who were not doing their due diligence to protect their community. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm I'm thinking this is still a point in history where people are like, that could never happen. Yeah, that's true. Well, and if it's a... A well-off looking white woman asking about somebody to offer them a job. No one's going to bat an eye at that. Yeah. You know? Yep. And the other thing is... They're going to be like, oh, what a good Samaritan. Right. And the other thing was is they don't know how she was murdered. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's odd. That is odd. You would think... I mean, no puncture wounds or no stab wounds, no gunshot wounds. Nope. You would think that the the likely would be strangulation at that point. What if... Well, but they could... It would have to be asphyxiation because you break shit in your neck when you manually strangle someone yeah right on. well and there's there was a case where a girl was in such shock and fear she died from like right shock. like a heart attack almost yeah so it's like did they maybe take her to and that's why her fingernails were painted and right. she had, she had clothes. nice clothes yeah and she was just so scared that maybe she had an unknown heart murmur or oh, something no i mean anything's the possible. shoes that's really throwing me off. My kid loses their shoes all the time, though. Mm. Well, I know, but why? You're going to cut shoes and re- put new straps on them? That's fucking weird. Well, maybe they were just in a pinch and she lost her shoes and. Yeah. They tried to put shoes on her. Before weird. they buried her? Yeah, no shit. Yeah, I don't know. 
Weird. But that's another thing. There was no signs of, you know, blood or anything around the burial site. So weird. Yeah, they could have just like let her out and just like go and yeah. she just tripped maybe or something maybe and drown i mean well she walked to the gravesite mm-hmm. that's so weird yeah there's like so no weird. that's the pr- that's the most frustrating thing with cases is there's no why when you don't have a why it makes it so much more difficult right Right, because your brain just races with, there's so many, I mean, endless possibilities. Mm-hmm. It could be anyone for any reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's murder, especially of a child, is senseless. There's no, like, the reasons still don't make sense. But, yeah, I don't know. Wacky. This is one I'll have to ponder for a while. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, me. and it stinks because there's, like, one picture of her, and it's, like, a really bad picture that she's like cropped out of and it's, oh, it's right. sad that sucks yeah I mean at that age in the 60s you're not gonna have a ton of mm-hmm. you know well especially being poor you know mm. photos are expensive mm. yep so yeah that's that's the story for the week it's very <laughs> Pretty somber. Yeah, Sorry. that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. I was going to say solemn. So we want to hear what you guys think. What's your opinion on this case? Please contact us on all our social media platforms or at our email, murdnerds at gmail.com. If you're an Apple or Spotify listener, feel free to rate and review us. This is the best and easiest way to share your thoughts and support the podcast. You can also support the podcast by pledging a monthly donation. And in the coming future, we will be changing our merch to a different platform. We've been having issues with our current provider. So literally today, we got the green light from everybody here (laughs) to uh, ditch them and go somewhere else. So... Yeah, we've got a lot better quality at cheaper prices and more options. So much better. Yeah. Yeah, so we got better. our we got our samples here. I've got my official Murdnerds baseball cap that I can't wait to wear. Yeah, so if you see Ashley sporting a baseball cap or Jay sporting a sock cap or I got a shirt. I'm wearing a new shirt. So stay tuned for that. Um, and if you would like, we're... If you like what we're doing here at Murder Nerds, you may also enjoy the other shows within the Golden Mojo family of podcasts. There's Golden Image Podcast, the Indiana Chiefs fans, the Call Guys, or the United States of Paranormal. You can listen to any of these shows wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Got anything you guys want to drop in? Real quick? No. No. Actually, Jeremy, (laughs) Families Helping Families, you want to drop a promo in? Because this will release on the 16th. Families Helping Families. (laughs) Google it. No. (laughs) That's it. Just look at that. It is a really cool benefit that I've been a part of. This is our third annual uh, Families Helping Families benefit concert. It's going on at the um, Solid Rock church in rochester i i put the flyer indiana. away i put the fl- indiana i put the flyer away so i don't i have all the information in front of me 
Let's oh. see, come down. You see John the Revelator. They're a really good band. They're going to be playing all night. And it costs you uh, a pack of diapers or a can of formula to um, get in. That's it. Nothing more. Just a pack of diapers or a can of formula per person. Um, and, of course, they'll have food there. You can buy food, you know, hot dogs, chips, soda. And the elephant ear cart will be out. Whoa. Oh, yeah. If you have the extra cash, I mean... Bring a few boxes of diapers or yeah. a, few, yeah. a few cans of formula. Yeah, we've had really good success the last couple of years. Uh, the first year was really, really good. Last year was a little shorter than the year before, but we're hoping to get back up into that first year. Yeah, so. COVID screwed everything. We started in COVID. We huh? started in the middle of COVID, and I think that was why we had a better turnout because everybody was hungry to get out and do something right and right so that was the one of the few things that you could go do so we had a lot we had a really good turnout last year's we had a lot of other things we were battling up against that's why we pushed it back into september for for this year so we're looking forward to it uh yeah what is it september 17th right yeah um, Saturday. at the uh solid rock or rock solid uh, church there in rochester nice. that's that's sunday that's Right? No. Or no. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was it's thinking Saturday about the concert. Night. Okay. Are we going to that? I mean, we can. Yeah. We should. I would like to. I will. Cool. <laughs> Sorry. Cool, cool. You know where to find me. We have a a special presentation to give to Michelle from Team Tejas, which I'm pretty excited about. So, yeah, that's a look. Hmm. I don't want to give it away on the on air. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All righty, folks. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with another interesting story. Yep, next week. It'll be in 20 minutes for us, but <laughs> seven days for you fine people. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.